0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Luke chapter 3, and it's verses 1 to 20. And the page number is 723, 726. And in the Bible with the rectangle on the front, 1029. Uh, just before I start, if you're finding the page, I'd like to say thank you ever so much. For all the people who have been cutting around their stamps and putting in the boxes, um, I'm the person who collects stamps here for missions and uh, I've been getting them nicely cut, which is fantastic. I did ask you last time not to tear around them because that really diminishes and I have to throw a lot out if they're torn. Rightio, Luke chapter 3. Verses 1 to 20. John the Baptist prepares the way. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? "'Don't collect any more than you are required to,' he told them. "'Then some soldiers asked him, "'And what should we do?' "'He replied, "'Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. "'Be content with your pay.' "'The people were waiting expectantly "'and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ John answered them all I baptize you with water but one more powerful than I will come the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, who Herod the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, his brother's wife and all the other evil things he had done Herod added them to added this to them all he locked John up in prison that's the word of the lord
1: well let's pray now before we come to think about god's word father thank you so much that you've given us uh, this word which uh, uh, really uh, cuts to our hearts Father, we thank you for your spirit, uh, for the work that he does in our lives. Father, we pray that uh, we would be changed as we understand and we consider the implications of your word today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I have heard it said that cappuccino Christianity is a problem in today's church. And I think to myself, what's wrong with cappuccinos? (laughs) I love my cappuccinos, don't you? Uh, especially in a clear glass where you can see the various layers. You know what I'm talking about? You can see on the bottom the, uh, the rich uh, espresso and uh, covering up that is the, um, is the, uh, the, steamed, uh, the warm steamed milk uh, with a thick uh, covering of uh, froth of, of and um, chocolate sprinkled on top. I mean, uh, it's so sweet, it's so creamy and when someone uh, offers me one, I find it so easy to say yes, to say yes to it. What about when we offer someone the gospel? Um, Sometimes um, we can be tempted to make it a bit like a cappuccino gospel, Uh, make it a bit sweeter, make it a bit more frothy so that it's easier for people to say yes to the offer. Now, um, there is so much in being a Christian which is just incredibly wonderful, isn't there? So much. We couldn't recount all of the great blessings, but how about forgiveness? I mean, how good is it to be forgiven by the God of the universe? That's amazing, isn't it? And yet, before someone can truly be forgiven... There are some uncomfortable truths that they need to swallow. Um, truths like sin, truths like judgement, truths like repentance. And to be honest, um, we can be tempted to sweeten that, can't we? Uh, it's, it can be uncomfortable um, talking about these things. And so to sweeten the message, we, we might actually prefer to leave some of those things out or just um, water them down a fair bit. Cappuccino Christianity. Now, in the first century, there were, uh, sadly, and also obviously, no cappuccino machines. And yet, uh, God's people, the Jews, they had their own way of feeling good about themselves and God, whilst actually ignoring the uncomfortable truths. And it was into that context of easy, uh, comfortable religion that the word of God came to John. Um, That's John, the uh, son of uh, Elizabeth and uh, Zechariah, or as we often call him, uh, John the Baptist. But for godly Jews, it was an uncomfortable world into which John began his ministry. Now, if you've got your... Bibles open at uh, Luke chapter 3. Uh, Come with me to verses 1 and 2. I'm just going to read those again just to refresh your memories. And uh, chapter 3, verse 1, uh, Luke tells us that in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. Now, there is a, there's a lot of detail there, isn't there? Uh, there's a lot of detail about you know, who the political leaders were, who the religious leaders were at that time. And you might think, well, how is that relevant to us? That's a good question. I mean, I find it. I don't know about you, but I find it interesting to, to know exactly what year John started his preaching in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius season. So we know from Roman records that uh, that means that it was uh, somewhere between August of AD 28 and August of AD 29 that John began his preaching in the desert. And I find that interesting because it also... Helps us to know when Jesus started his ministry too, doesn't it? Between AD 28 and AD 29, in the Augusts of those two years. That might be relevant, but why do we need to know about all these other people? These, 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 uh, the Caesar and the, and the governors and the, the tetrarchs. Um, tetrarchs basically being little kings. Why do we need to know about the governors and the tetrarchs and, and the high priests? Well, for the Jews, this was their life. They lived in a, in a world which was ruled by an emperor in Rome, and a region which was ruled by puppet kings and uh, Roman administrators. And what about their religious leaders? Um, how many high priests did they have at the time? What does it tell us? How many high priests did they have? Two. How many high priests were they supposed to have? One. Why is this? Why do they have two high priests rather than one? Well, it's because the retired high priest, Annas, would not release his grip on power to the current (coughs) high priest, his son-in-law, Caiaphas. And so for godly Jews, this was an uncomfortable world an uncomfortable world of Roman control, of politics and power struggles, even amongst their high priests. And yet God had promised that one day that God's people would be ruled by God's special king. Now, um, in the ancient world, I suppose it's true in our world as, as well, uh, that when a king uh, visited some uh, you know, distant part of his uh, kingdom, that preparations would have to first be made, not just the celebrations for when he arrived, but paving the way for him to get there, like building a proper road or fixing up the existing road, filling in all of the potholes to make the journey smooth. And in uh, verses 4 through to 6... Luke quotes from the prophet Isaiah who had said that before God's king came that someone else would have to prepare the way, that someone else would come to cut a path, to smooth the, the, the way, to level the road, a road not to a city but a road through the hearts of people and that someone was John. Uh, who in this passage was baptising people um, around the region and by the, um, yeah, in the Jordan River. Now, um, how does that work? How, how did John cut through people's hearts? How did he prepare people for the coming of God's king? And what has this got to do with Baptism. Some churches, uh, even today, um, falsely tell people (laughs) that to get right with God, what you need to do is get yourself baptised. And in a few other religious ceremonies, if you do those things, you'll be okay. Uh, You'll be right with God. You'll get to heaven. I'm not telling fibs on this. (laughs) I've actually heard them say this. I've been present. That sounds very easy, doesn't it? That is very easy, and it doesn't cut through anybody's heart. Yet when John baptized people, cutting hearts was exactly what he was doing. How so? Well, let me explain. In the Old Testament, the descendants of Abraham were Israel, uh, or as they came to be known, the Jews. And they were chosen by God to enjoy a special relationship with himself. Whereas all other people in the world, uh, they were Gentiles. And they did not know the true God. And they worshipped false gods. They worshipped idols. But there were some Gentiles who came to realise that the God of Israel was actually the true God. And they too wanted to belong to God's people. Now, the the good news is that they could because God's love has always been for all people. uh, Who is the classic example in the Old Testament of a Gentile who becomes one of God's chosen people, one of God's special people? Um, I'm thinking Ruth. Um, She stands out for me. Uh, Ruth was a Moabite woman, but she actually uh, uh, turned to God And she was accepted by God and she uh, became the great-grandmother of King David, which puts her in the family line of Jesus. But for a Gentile, before a Gentile could join God's people, there were things they had to do. Um, If the person was a male, they had to be circumcised. And secondly, because Gentiles were considered to be spiritually unclean... By the time of John it had become the custom the practice that they would have to be washed which was what John was doing when he was baptizing them people but who, so therefore who who was baptism for who were the people who needed to be baptized it was gentiles who were entering into becoming God's people but who is John baptising here? He's he's baptising Jews. Why would he do that? Well, he's saying something about them, isn't he? He's saying that they are unclean. He's saying that they are like Gentiles because they, they were thinking, you know, we're okay with God because we are... We are the descendants of Abraham, we are Israel, we are God's chosen people, and yet they were living as if they were not. I guess it's a bit like someone you know thinking that they're a Christian, but their priorities, their behavior and their life says something different, that they're no different from anyone who's not a Christian. So by preaching baptism to Jews, John is saying that they might as well be Gentiles who need to repent, who need to come to God, who need to enter into forgiveness, to enter into God's kingdom. Now, you can imagine uh, that that would be offensive to some people, can't you? That would be very offensive to some people because what it does is, is it assaults human pride, and I've seen this um, even amongst churchgoers, go- <laughs> even here. Uh, many years ago, I would uh, suggest that there were uh, a good number of people in, in this church who what I would describe as being um, religious non-Christians and uh, some of whom were, were very deeply offended to hear that they, that they were the ones who had to trust in Christ, <laughs> that they were the ones who had to repent and be forgiven. Why do we need to hear this? That's for the message for the people outside the church. Uh, We're offended. Whereas others were very glad to hear that news. And a few who had at first been offended then actually came to be very glad because they realised that they needed to trust in Jesus. So, different types of people. And it's a bit like those who came to listen to John's preaching. Um, come with me to verse 7, and we'll read about the crowd. But read about what John preached to the crowd. Uh, John said to the crowds, coming out to be baptised by him, you brood of vipers. He's basically calling them a family of poisonous snakes. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, And do not even begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into fire. Now, he couldn't be accused of cappuccino Christianity, could he? (laughs) Hardly. Uh, Mind you... In uh, Matthew's Gospel, we're told uh, about, this inc- about this preaching that John directed these remarks to a large number of religious leaders um, who were in the crowd. Um, Pharisees and Sadducees had turned up um, not to be baptised. Uh, they weren't there to be baptised. They were there to um, critique John because they thought that they had no need to confess their sin and repent. However, in verses 10 to 14, there were others in the crowd who did see their need. They heard John's words and they wanted to know what to do. Uh, Verse 10, What shall we do then? the crowd asked. And John answered, The man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. It's not rocket science, is it? What's he saying? In other words, he's saying, love your neighbour and be generous. That's what the law says. And then there were tax collectors also who came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Now, tax collectors, they were considered to be greedy traitors. They were the the scum of the earth as far as Jews were concerned because they were Jews who collected taxes from the Roman occupiers and plus added a hefty percentage for their own profit. And then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay, it seems that uh, some of these soldiers uh, had a bit of a racket going on on the side. They needed to supplement, They thought they should supplement their, uh, their salary by um, forcing people to give them money. What is he saying here? Notice that he hasn't said to them, look, give up your job as tax collector. Give up your job as being a soldier. No, what he's saying is to, in your job, be godly. <laughs> Be godly in your jobs. Imagine the difference that that would make. A soldier who was corrupt but is now honest. A tax collector who was greedy but now, like one we meet later on, Zacchaeus, became generous. Wow. That's repentance. Being different to the world. And it's as you and I should be generous with our possessions and in our jobs being fair and just and honest and caring. So I wonder what that might look like for you in in your workplace or in your school or uh, with the people that you connect with um, in your daily life. What would it mean to be different to the world for you? So that as people experience you, they might might want to know why you're different. Now it seems that some people's hearts were um, were so warmed by John's teaching (laughs) that in verse 15, they started to wonder if John himself might actually be the Christ. If John might be God's king. Well, how did John respond? Verse 16. John answered them all, I baptise you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, um, being washed, uh, being dunked in the, uh, in the Jordan River, um, what does that clean? Apparently these days it wouldn't clean very much because it's apparently quite a dirty river. But what would that clean if you were, if you were dunked in the Jordan River? That cleans the, the outside, doesn't it? The outside. But John was preparing the way for the one who would clean the inside. The one who would baptise not with water, but with the spirit who changes our hearts... And with fire Now, fire can be understood here in two different ways uh, baptism being baptised with fire the fire purifies our hearts purifies us but uh, John goes on to talk about this one who would come in verse 17 where he says that his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his thresh, threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted people and preached the good news to them. (laughs) I read that and I think, good news? Good news? How is that good news? You know, good news that God's king is like a farmer at harvest time uh, where some people are, well, they're like the good stuff, the wheat, but everyone else, they're like the chaff and they get burnt up in unquenchable fire. How is that good news? Well, the good news is that John preached judgment and salvation so as to prepare the way for the one who would come, the one who would come to absorb judgment, to absorb God's judgment so as to bring for us salvation. John preached judgment and salvation. The one who was to come would absorb the judgment so that we can have salvation. Now last year um, there were two men at a beach in Queensland who went in for a swim uh, on a day when it wasn't particularly good conditions and they went in for a swim where it was not safe to do so. And when the lifesavers spotted them, they went uh, down to the the water and they shouted out to them to get out of the water. Later, the lifesavers said that, and they said with sadness and with frustration, that they just, they heard us, but they just ignored our warnings. Now, the lifesavers were not trying to spoil their day. They weren't trying to spoil their their swim. They were trying to save them from danger. And, you know, I'm so glad that um, uh, the man who shared the gospel with me, uh, that he gave me the warning that he was very clear to me about sin and about judgement because it helped me to understand what it was that I was saved from, and it helped me to understand why Jesus had to die for me. And I was I was blown away by God's love that He would do that for me. That's where God's love is, that in His in, in, that in His Son, He saves us from the judgment. Now, sometimes uh, we might be tempted to think that um, people won't become Christians if, if we tell them the hard bits, when actually they, they won't truly turn to Christ unless we do. Uh, John certainly warned people, didn't he? Um, not just those uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, <laughs> you brood of vipers, Uh, But but in verse 19, he even warned the political powers who ruled that part of the world, like Herod, like Herod who had sinfully married his half-brother's wife. And when John raised this matter of sin, what did Herod do? How did he react? Did he repent? No. Uh, We're told that he threw John in jail in the last verse. And he later chopped off his head rather than listen to the warning and repent. And yet Herod and all the other petty tyrants that we read about in verse 1, they didn't last long. And as for Caesar, well, the Roman Empire crumbled within 500 years but the kingdom of God just kept growing and growing and growing and growing and is still growing today and will be growing tomorrow as you and I live uh, not as cappuccino Christians but living repentantly with Jesus as our ruler. And as we share not a sweetened and frothy gospel but a gospel shared with love, a gospel which is clear about sin and judgment, not because we want people to be judged, but because we want them to be saved from judgment through God's King, Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the... uh, clarity of the gospel, that uh, you make it clear that uh, we as sinful human beings are offside with you, that we need to come to you, and that when we come to you we find that you are gracious and loving and merciful, and you have shown that to us by absorbing our judgment upon yourself in the person of your son, Jesus, so that we can be forgiven so that we can live lives of repentance, lives which bring glory to you. We pray, Father, that uh, we, by our um, lifestyles and our godliness, in our in our the little world around us, that we would be an example of that, that people would see something in us which is different and is worth having. We pray, Father, that we would not shy away from explaining the gospel with clarity, but with love and trusting in your spirit to change the lives of people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.